Good evening and welcome again to our service. We're grateful that you're here tonight. Appreciate Cameron reading our scripture tonight. We're always grateful for the services of our young men and their willingness to read scripture, to lead prayer, to wait on the Lord's table, and to do whatever they can to help the church out here. We appreciate also our young ladies. And we're grateful for all of them and their great influence and all the things that they do to make this a great church. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 in our study together tonight. The last two weeks we have been talking about the acts of worship. We began by discussing the importance of the Lord's Supper. Last week we talked about corporate prayer. And tonight we want to think about preaching as it relates to our worship to Almighty God. In Acts chapter 20 verse 7 we have an account of the Apostle Paul and those who were with him in the city of Troas and while there they engaged in a period of worship. One of the things they did, they partook of the Lord's Supper. Another act specified by Luke was the preaching of the Apostle Paul. When we talk about acts of worship we understand that God is the aim, the object of our worship. And we are bowing in the presence of God. Our hearts and minds are attuned to the will of God. You remember Jesus said, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. That is with the right attitude and in truth. And that would have to do with the authority of our worship. Tonight as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, we have a passage of Scripture, a text of Scripture, that emphasizes the importance of preaching. And I think it's helpful for us as we think about how preaching relates to our worship to zero in on these verses because Paul here, in a very specific way, discusses the importance of preaching. And when I think about the importance of preaching, I'm reminded of the fact that God in heaven had one son, and he was a preacher. And Paul would say in writing to the church at Corinth that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The early church was committed to the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ. In Acts chapter 8, after the persecution that swept the early church, Luke tells us that those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And so as they did, we want to do likewise and preach and teach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want to begin tonight by talking about the charge in preaching. And first of all, there is a divine command that is given. Paul, as you well know, was writing the commandments of the Lord. He made that abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In his last inspired letter, in writing to Timothy, he would say, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word charge here means to attest, to testify, to persuade, to bring to a belief. The gospel is a believable message. And it is a message 
that can and should be believed. There are a lot of things that would fall under the heading of a fable, a fairy tale, fiction. The gospel, however, is a divine message. And God here gives a divine charge, and that charge is to preach the word. And so I think about the charge to preach and then the considerations of preaching. Note, if you would, the solemnity of the charge given by Paul. He said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Some translations may say, in the sight of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I think about the Apostle Paul encouraging young Timothy to preach the gospel. And he's saying, in effect, that I'm giving this charge in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Note also the seriousness of this charge. Paul would say, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. The reason preaching is so imperative is because the souls of people are at stake. Have you ever stopped to think about the value of the human soul? I think Jesus stressed the value of the soul in Luke 15 when he gave three parables, beginning with the parable of the lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin. Thirdly, the parable of the lost son. And each and every parable accentuates the value of the human soul. God has placed a premium on your soul and on the souls of people. The seriousness of preaching is reflected in the fact that it can save the soul. And if we don't preach the word, then people are not going to come to an understanding of divine truth and be saved. You ever known somebody, not a member of the church, somebody that you've thought about from time to time, you have intended or maybe had intended to invite them to the services so that they might hear the gospel? You intended to study with them, to show them the truth of God, and then they became sick. Too sick to attend worship. Too sick to study the scriptures. Sadly, some having noble intentions never get around to that invitation. A person dies outside of Christ. I knew a fellow one time that waited too late to encourage his older sister. And she died outside of Christ. That's why this message is so serious. That's why preaching is serious business. Paul said that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to judge the living. When he comes, there will be some people who are alive. Others will have been dead and gone for years and years. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he will usher in the judgment of God. 
Paul said we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What a sobering thought. In Romans chapter 14, Paul said, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. So there is, first of all, a charge in preaching, and then secondly, the content in our preaching. I want to begin by talking about the source, the divine source of preaching. Now, in light of the charge that has been given by the Apostle Paul, note verse 2. Paul said the source of our preaching is the Word. Preach the Word. He said, be ready, be ready in season and out of season. God is saying the source of preaching, past, present, and future, is His Word. Why would God say for us to preach the Word? Why is it imperative that we preach the Bible and nothing but the Bible? I think there are some reasons. I think there are some valid reasons Number one, because when we preach the word, we're preaching that which is profitable. There are a lot of things that I could stand up and talk about. It might be something that would be of interest to you. It might be something that historically speaking you would gravitate toward. It might be something that would entertain you. But Paul said we need to preach the word. Why is that? Because the preaching of the word is profitable. Go back and look at chapter 3, verse 16. Paul said all scripture, every scripture, is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it's God-breathed. And then he said, it is profitable. God's word, this book that we call the Bible, is profitable. If I deal in fables and fiction and history and etc., again, it might entertain, it might be of interest to you, but it's not going to have the same effect. And Paul here is saying that God's holy word is profitable. Well, why is it profitable? Because it gives us what we need to know by way of doctrine or teaching. It reproves, it corrects, and it instructs. Tell me another message that has the ability to do those things. So number one, we preach the gospel, we preach the word because it's profitable. Number two, because it is powerful. There is nothing like the gospel. Paul would write in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto, salva unto salvation. God's word has the ability to lead to the conversion of the souls of people. But we have to preach the word in order for that power to have an effect on the lives of people. If I don't preach the word, then why should I expect a harvest? Paul here is saying that God's word, it's profitable, but it's also powerful. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 32, when Paul stood before the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That word able is the same term that is used by Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. In Romans 1, 16, the word is power. It's translated able 
in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And all Paul is saying is God's word has the ability, the power to build you up and give you an inheritance. So if I don't preach the word, then I am negating the power of the gospel. There's a third thing. That is the fact that the word is piercing. God's word has the ability to pierce the hardest of hearts, doesn't it? You remember on Pentecost Day, the Bible tells us that the gospel was preached, wasn't it? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the Bible says that those who were present on that occasion were pricked in their hearts. What was it that pricked the hearts of those who were in Jerusalem on that day? The gospel. The Hebrew writer said the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, 17, Paul said that we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God's word will not profit. It will not be powerful. It will not pierce the heart unless it is unsheathed and used effectively. And so the word of God has the ability to pierce the hardest of hearts. And then there's another aspect of the Word of God when preached, and that is it's provocative. And by that, I simply mean that it has the ability to elicit a response. Is that not what we're, we're intending to do in preaching the gospel? We're trying to get a response out of people? When those people on Pentecost Day were pricked in their hearts, they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The gospel pierced their hearts and then it provoked them to ask the question. As a preacher, as a teacher, our goal is to, to instruct, to enlighten, to encourage, to lead people to Christ, to get them to obey the gospel and then to stay with the gospel. So these are some of the great characteristics of God's holy and divine word. There is another aspect of preaching the word that's not in our notes, but I want to share it. And that's the fact that the word of God has the ability to purify the soul. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter said, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. When I obey the gospel of Christ, the blood of Christ washes away my sins. The instrument, however, that brings about that conversion is what? God's Word. And so God's Word has the ability to bring about the purification of the souls of people. And so, this is a great book. And we do a disservice to people if we don't preach the Word. And so you have... The source of our preaching. As Paul said, you preach the word. There's another thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the divine scope of our preaching. Listen now to what Paul said. First there is the exposure of sin. The gospel is intended to bring to light the sins and unrighteousness of the human family. Paul said, first of all, we are to reprove. 
The word reprove means to convict, to bring to light, to expose, to reprehend severely, to chide, to call to account, to show one's fault. It's incumbent that we preach the gospel. Inherent in preaching the gospel is the importance of reproving. There are people in our world today that are living in sin. And in all candor, there are many who do not know they're living in sin. Let me just give you an example. You ever thought about the vast numbers of people that are living together today without the benefits of marriage? Many of those people think they're okay. They don't understand that they're living in sin. Well, somebody would ask the question, well, what's their sin? It's called fornication. And the Bible says that fornicators cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we are instructed to bring to light what God's word has to say about marriage and the benefits and blessings that go along with marriage. That's just one example. And so Paul here is saying, look, Timothy, you have the responsibility of not just reproving, but also rebuking. The words are very similar in nature. The word rebuke means to censor, to chide, to warn. Are there people in our world today that need to be warned? Yes, they do. And why would they need to be warned? Well, just back up and look at verse 1. We're to preach the word... Before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, why? Because he's going to judge the living and the dead. How many people in our world today have no concept of the judgment to come? Do you remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he said we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ? In verse 11 of that same context, he said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What we're trying to do is get people ready for the judgment of God. Now the standard by which we're going to be judged is God's holy word. Paul would say in Romans chapter 2 verse 2 that the judgment of God is according to truth. Pontius Pilate centuries ago asked the question, what is truth? And Jesus answered it. He said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. And so we warn people about the judgment to come. We warn people about living a life of sin. We warn people about the danger in delaying obeying the gospel of Christ. And the reason is because none of us has any assurance of tomorrow. Solomon said in Proverbs, Who knoweth what a day may bring forth? Let me tell you what. There are people living this evening around this globe that have every intent of getting up in the morning and going about their daily duties. And there'll be a lot of those folks that won't have that opportunity because death will intervene. And so there is the exposure of sin and then the exhortation to saints. Paul said, you reprove, you rebuke, and then he said, exhort. The word exhort means to call to one side, 
It carries with it the idea of bringing comfort. Do we need to be encouraged as members of the body of Christ? Yes, we do. You can't beat people down every week. You got to build them up. Paul here is saying, look, there is a time and place for reproving and rebuking. There is also a time and place when people need to be encouraged. They need somebody to say to them, look, you can make it. You're on the right road. You're living the kind of life that God approves of. I think about people that have experienced the hurt of illness, disease, others that have experienced the heartache of the loss of a family or friend. And they need encouragement. And that's the beauty of this book, the timelessness of this book. God's Word has the ability to bring about all of these things. There is a third thing in this point I want you to see, and that is the divine staying power in preaching. Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, now listen to him, with all long-suffering and teaching. When you preach and teach, you have to be willing to suffer along with people. One of the great characteristics of Almighty God is he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 3 and about verse 15, and account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. When I preach and teach the gospel, I have to understand, it takes time. When people plant seed in the ground in the, in, the spring of year, in the spring of the year, they don't expect an immediate harvest, do they? They understand it's going to take time. It's going to take the right kind of soil. It's going to entail moisture, water. That seed's going to have to germinate, and then it will bring forth fruit. By the same token, when we preach and teach the gospel of Christ, we understand. It takes time. Sometimes it takes longer than other times. There are some folks that hear the gospel, they understand it, they're ready to obey it. Others, however, you just got to keep chipping away at. Just keep preaching and teaching, and eventually... It will register. And so, Paul here is saying that as a gospel preacher, you're going to have to be long-suffering with people because people are not perfect. And people don't always do what they ought to do in a timely way. There is a third thing that I want to call your attention to in chapter 4. It has to do with the challenge in preaching. There's some challenges that face those who preach. First, according to Paul, there is a danger. What's the danger in preaching? Well, look if you would at verse 3. The first danger is that you encourage compromise on the part of the messenger. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. There are some people, they're not going to be satisfied with the truth of Almighty God. And so what they're going, what they're going to want to do is encourage compromise or concessions on the part of those who teach and preach. And what those of us who preach and teach have to say is, we're not for sale. We're not willing to compromise. We're not willing to make concessions when it comes to the Holy Word of God. In matters of opinion, by all means, we ought to, we ought to express liberty. When it comes to the fundamentals of the faith, however, we've got to stand foursquare on the gospel of Christ. Now Paul here said, there are going to be some folks, they don't want to hear the truth. And so if a gospel preacher will not accommodate them, they'll find somebody that will. Happens all the time. I've known of people and you've known of people, no doubt, that have faced trouble within a certain congregation because they preached the word. Many years ago, I remember a friend of mine preached for a particular congregation. I'm not sure what all he said during the course of one of his sermons, but he said one of the members came to visit him in his office. And he said, now, if you preach what you're preaching, you're just going to get people all stirred up. You're just going to create a bunch of waves here. And this fellow said, I'm a wave maker. He didn't last very long. And sadly, that happens. But he wasn't willing to compromise what he believed. So first of all, one of the dangers is to bring about concessions, compromise. The second is to change the word, change the message. Note verse 4. Paul said they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I wish everyone had an appreciation for this book that we call Scripture. I wish everyone wanted to hear the gospel. The hard truth of the matter is there are a whole lot of folks out there they don't want to hear the gospel. And they're not going to be satisfied if somebody stands up and just preaches book, chapter, and verse. Not what they want. Not what they want to hear. Well, Paul said there are some people because they're, because they're not inclined toward the truth They'll turn aside to fables. You ever thought about the fact that there is a lot of preaching that goes on in the world today? That biblically speaking, not really preaching. There are congregations within our brotherhood where guys stand up and quote unquote preach, but they don't preach the truth. Sometimes it's not so much what you say as what you don't say. And Paul here is saying, you preach the word. 
You preach it when people like it, when they don't like it. Now there is a second thing that we ought to see in verse 5, and that has to do with the duties of the preacher. First, Paul said, Timothy, as a gospel preacher, you need to be sober. Look at what he says. You be watchful in all things. You remember the apostle Peter in writing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he said, he said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walked about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He said, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. Those of us that preach and teach and every member for that, for that matter, we ought to be vigilant, we ought to be on guard. We ought to be alert to the work of the devil, the tactics of the devil, the ways of the world. And then there's a second thing. Paul said, number one, you be sober. Number two, you be stable. Look at, look at what he says. Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Note the correlation in preaching the word and enduring afflictions. Did Paul know what he was talking about? Did Paul experience trial and tribulation from preaching and teaching the gospel? Back up and look at chapter 3. In verse 10 he said, You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now look at verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul was transparent in his preaching and teaching. He told Timothy right up front, look, if you're going to preach the gospel, you need to be ready to suffer. And by the way, those of us that live the Christian life, we need to be ready to suffer. Persecution. Verbally. Physically, if it were to come to that, Paul here is saying, you be sober, Timothy. You be stable. It's not easy when people are taking shots at you, criticizing you, trying to encourage you to change the message. And Paul here is saying, Timothy, you dig in and you stay true to the message. And then there is a third aspect of the duty. He said, do the work of an evangelist. That is, Timothy, you be a sower. What is he to sow? The seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11. An evangelist has the responsibility of preaching and teaching the gospel, of sharing the gospel. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our world today needs to be evangelized. All of us ought to see ourselves as a teacher endeavoring to share the most important message known to man. In our lesson this morning, we talked about the importance of sharing the gospel. Sometimes preachers lose their focus. 
And sometimes as members, we too lose our focus. And we forget that the work of the church is about evangelizing. Striving to the best of our ability to sow the seed of the kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. And I know this. Jesus said, if the seed of the kingdom falls in the hearts of honest and good people, it'll bring forth fruit. Now, if you don't sow the seed of the kingdom, you can't expect a harvest. And so Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you continue to be a sower. And then finally, he said, be steadfast. Fulfill your ministry. In writing to the church at Corinth, he said, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Timothy had a job to do. And Paul here is saying, Timothy, as a gospel preacher, you fulfill your charge. You uphold your responsibility. I have responsibilities as a Christian and as a preacher. You have responsibilities as well. And what Paul would say, say to all of us is, with responsibility comes accountability. One day Timothy would be ushered before the throne of God. One day we'll be ushered before the throne of God. And we're going to give an account of how we've lived and what we've done with the gospel. And so Paul here is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you fulfill your responsibilities. Fulfill your ministry. Preaching is very important. It may be the case that it has gotten a bad rap in days gone by. And there are a lot of folks that feel like preaching is outdated and old-fashioned and on and on. But the truth of the matter is, it's relevant and necessary. I want to encourage you tonight to do your best to share the gospel with others. I want to close tonight by re-emphasizing the power of God's Word. And you as a Christian have many, many opportunities on a daily basis. There are lots of folks that you come in contact with as well as I. And there are many people in this community and around us that don't know the gospel. It's up to us to take that gospel. I encouraged you this morning to write down one name of somebody that you know that needs the gospel. Begin working today. Sow that seed. Pray for that person. Work that ground with the goal, the intent to bring that person to Christ. We preach, we teach, we do this on a weekly basis by God's design. I would love to see this building full. And it can be full. But it can't be full if just one or two people are doing the work. It takes all of us. So think about the seriousness of this message and the responsibilities that we have with it. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the power of your word. We're thankful for your love and care for us. We're thankful for 
the opportunities that we have as your children to share your word. We ask, Father, that you would forgive us for times when we have not been what we ought to be when it comes to evangelizing those who are outside of Christ. Help us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to take your gospel to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Let me encourage you to put your faith and trust in God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus said, as you well know, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, would you be willing to repent, as they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2.38? To confess, confess the name of Christ before others, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 10. Would you be willing to be baptized into Christ so that every sin could be washed away, Acts 2.38? If you'll do that, God will put you in the church, and you'll be a part of that body that God has promised to save, Ephesians 5.23. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? God will abundantly pardon according to 1 John 1, 9. Why not come as we stand and sing?